Cause we are the champions pop, 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 of the world. I um I can't sing anyways, but I have a little bit of nasally stuff, so my voice is compromised. So I really couldn't hit anything there. <laughs> Humming, whistling, no, yeah, nothing. Or singing, <clears throat> but you know I was singing that. What? Cause the Baylor men's men's basketball team went ahead and won themselves a national championship after we talked last week. A national championship, like can you believe that? It just was like. Especially, I feel like in this tournament, they made a big deal out of, like, who all has won it and who all, like, yeah, uh, you know, what what schools actually have a national championship. And they're, like, only the second school in Texas. And it just is really, really, really exciting. Well, we maybe should note <laughs> that, yep, yeah, I have to do it. Um, we're at my house with... Or I should say his name. Whoever his name is. He's a foster child. And um, because... <laughs> is that his name? Um, maybe or maybe not. Um, because... I'll have to do one of those beeps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because um, he is a not able to go to school today because he had a reaction to his medicine. Oh, so that's a bummer. He's their background noise today. Yeah. I was planning on being here anyways because... Uh, my other child is on COVID protocol. Yeah. She had an exposure, but she is clearly fine and enjoying the fact that she doesn't go to school. <laughs> Just talking to her friends online. Yeah. So, anyways, back to Baylor Bears. Wow. What Those, a game. And, yeah, that was really, like, what and a game. Won it definitively. Won it, no question. I mean, it was such a comprehensive win. Yeah. Yeah. From, I mean, it's like they were never trailing. Right. They were tied at zero. For I think a while. I saw a crazy stat. They were trailing like for a minute fifty-two of the whole tournament. Of the whole tournament, or like six games, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it was insane. That is insane. So congratulations. Also, I didn't have this in my notes, but guess what? What? I um, ESPN. I look at every day. Every day. Yeah. Okay. And there's a mock draft thing that's you have to pay extra for ESPN Plus material. Sure. So I'm like, I bet I can Google some boards elsewhere and see how things are coming out. Yeah. Well, I found one, and it took me a while to realize it was must have been before the season. Okay. Um, because Mitchell was like a 26 projected pick. Um, oh. Butler was like second round, and then interestingly, um, they had like. Uh, four, all four Gonzaga players, except in for the... in there two in the first two rounds, except for Timmy. Timmy was behind Butler even. Hmm. So that's I don't weird. know. You know, sometimes these really great college athletes don't translate though, and they can tell that. I don't know why. Yeah. But this is. But then I found a recent one from yeah. CBS, and Mitchell was projected as the sixth pick. Oh wow! Yeah. And the, the article said probably the best two-way guard in the draft in terms of defense and offense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so, probably. Yeah. And Butler was in the t- in the first round on this one, too. Okay. Jalen Suggs was third. What about Timmy? Timmy? I don't think I saw him. I don't know if he hasn't declared or what's going on. Or... Well, yeah, that's true. I don't know much about those Gonzaga players, so maybe he But I didn't see declared. Kispert, either. 
kiss for well, and then uh, Joel A. I. A. How do you say that name? Uh-huh. He's also projected to go, but I didn't see him in that one either. So um, surely they will go. Some of them. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sure. And well, and surely some of them, even if they hadn't planned on it before the season, <laughs> they will now. Yep. We see. Oh yeah. All right. Plato. Um. Okay. Well, that was so much fun. Congratulations to Baylor Bears. Congratulations to Baylor Bears. Congratulations especially to Scott Drew. Yeah, what a good guy. Um, and thanks to him for like shouting out Waco and yeah. you know talking about the community and. I feel like he's like really for us. I do too, and I think it's some of it has to do with surely with like the context of like how he took the job and like. Um, you know, like what had happened and the whole community sort of um, experiencing the trauma and fallout from like, you know, what had happened just previous to him taking the job. And I hope that he, you know, well, I mean, surely, hopefully now he feels supported by Baylor and Waco. I feel like at this point it would be like a real shame if that was not the case. Um, Okay. Well, moving on. Taylor, um, this is the most gossipy thing I've had in a while. But not really, because it's public figures and they put themselves out here. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Rachel Hollis video? I have seen the Rachel Hollis video. Okay, here's my question. I watched it twice. Okay. Maybe I'm seeing an edited version. Okay. Does she actually compare herself to Harriet Tubman in the video? Um, she. It's not in the video that she compares herself to Harriet Tubman. It is. Um, in the. It was the caption. That said something about like women who are historical figures and how they worked really hard and like she's like them and she I, I she lists Harriet Tubman. Okay, so she compared herself to Harriet Tubman. She did, yeah. Well, that is what she did. How do you feel about that whole thing? Um, Rachel Hollis has never been uh, like a, a an influence of mine. Have I, you read any of her stuff? Um, I've read some of her stuff, uh, but n- not like, not like a whole book. Just like what? Ar- first of all, is she a Christian person in her writing? What I find her at the she Christian does, bookstore. She does. Yes, she does claim to be a Christian person. But but her writing isn't explicitly so. Well, her influence in her sort of like um, journey to become an influential person, is she didn't start specifically as like a Christian influencer. She's not like a gin hat maker. Yeah. Um, she and I, she doesn't really speak very specifically about the Bible or have any claims that like. Well, she's a biblical scholar or anything. One like thing that. I gleaned is it seems like people are kind of taking her with like healthy health and wealth kind of genre. Yes. Which if you if it's not Christian, that's just kind of self help is what it is. Yes. Um. Yeah. She also apparently has a. History. She grew up in a denomination that was very sort of prosperity gospelish. Okay. Um, and so that is kind of her tradition. You know. So what? What? I I, I got to be honest. If okay. I could sell out and write one of those books, I would do it. You would do it. I'm just always stunned that self help stuff does so well. That self, yeah. Like what do and you what really do you does. say? You say like you can you can make a lot of money if you have a positive mindset. Like that's the yeah, book. that's what they say. Wow. We're just getting a table here full Things of stuff. Things like that. Yes. You guys, I'm getting handed so many presents. Yeah, we're got a table full of Play-Doh and other things right now. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, Rachel Hollis is, um, I think Rachel Hollis is a little dangerous. Um, in what way? Like, well, she, she claims to be Christian, like just enough that people are like, oh, this is like theological. This is like a Christian worldview. Okay. But really it's just like her worldview, but it is, um. Uh, so it's just her worldview. It's not like a Christian thing, right. necessarily. Although she would say she's a Christian, so in some way, it is in there. But um, a lot of people are like, "This is the Christian way of thinking about things," but it's really just like Rachel Hollis's way of thinking about things. Right. Well, uh, now let me ask you a different question. Um, we we know both that I'm not female and that I um, I do not respond well to anger we've identified this in previous sure the video is just somebody who didn't know this the the whole thing it felt to me like i don't think this is going to accomplish what you hope it accomplishes because it just seems like you're really angry and lashing out at somebody well i saw someone recently sort of characterize rachel hollis's work and like what she does as like um i think and i and i found it to be true that it's like she figured out how to monetize hustle, hustle culture right as hustle culture fell apart. What's hustle culture? Uh, you know, the like, um, sort of like what she was talking about. Like, nobody's willing to work as hard as I am. Like, I'm successful because I work so hard. Oh. No one else is willing to wake up at 4 a.m. Like, hustle means like I, like hustle. Like, I hustle, yeah. I'm, I'm after it. Which is a very big sort of deal right now as far as not actually we're sort of moving out of it societally. But it's like, you know, do you have a like, are you do you have a job and are you also working on your dream? Do you have a side hustle? Do you like do you have all these streams of income and revenue? See, I this is like my three four wing stuff. I'm always just so over concerned with how I appear and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I heard she's a three. Um, I don't know. So I just I felt like, woof, that's uh, that's something. But well, maybe she loves the optics of that moment. Maybe she's proud of it. Well, I do. No, she's already apologized. Um, I do think she. Um, um, I do think she. Uh, well, but that would be frustrating to me. So she like she um, developed. There are also a lot of accusations out there about um plagiarism that she has taken things especially from black women creators and then claimed them to be her own and so um she and so that she has developed though this franchise even if a lot of the content wasn't hers like originally and or this like marketing brand sense of self that's based on this like hustle culture moment and it's like and now we're actually a lot of society is moving out of that. And um, that would be frustrating to me if I felt like I had worked hard to develop something and then it was like the moment was over right as I, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of context for her as far as like the plagiarism accusations go and stuff like that. But yeah. if I felt like, oh, I found this meaningful thing that I can speak to people about. And then like 30 seconds later, everyone was like, we don't care about that anymore. That's me having empathy for Rachel Hollis. Um, well, I hope that all gets straightened out, and I hope everybody can have a positive next moment. Yes. I did see, the reason I picked it up is because Kristen Howerton, not our HR director person at UBC. But, um, <laughs> My HR person? Yeah, your HR person. Uh, the um, writer, uh-huh. mom blogger, Rage Against the Minivan, 
took her on. And I, she said something about my comments deleted, and it seemed like maybe her comments were the ones that spurned the initial video. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know either about that, but I do know I had heard several people say that comments were getting deleted. Okay. All right. Next on the agenda, I have good news. You do? Yes. Great. Per my question about... Um, Title sequences that include with? Yes. You were mostly right. I was? Yes. Um, okay. So we um, we had a response from Jess Smith. Oh, my gosh. And a, a real, she sma- sent a real me, smarty. Yes. She sent me a Reddit link, but also gave a brief explanation. Um, it's with occurs usually when big actors are not the main actors, ah. which is basically what we said. For example, and this was in the Reddit link, Tom Cruise is huge in Mission Impossible. He's a main actor, so he would never be with. He's billed as like the just, yeah, just at the beginning. Tom Cruise, yeah. yeah. But um, Chevy Chase in Community, who is a giant on a ensemble cast, um, who has the maybe the least amount of time is billed as with. It's a special, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I said something like that, right? Yeah, that's essentially what you said. So good job knowing that answer. Thank you. Um, okay. well, we're keeping Careful. chairs from falling off now. That will be scary. Okay, so there's that. Uh, speaking of community, you know what was one thing I was watching, observing? Oh, no. What? So there was an episode recently, and it started in 09. I'm in season three, so I guess it was 11. So this is 10 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're talking, there was a reference to an emoji. Oh. Um, but it was not, it, they used to be called emoticons, right? Yeah. I don't think it was, but it was emoji. Is there a difference between those things? Emoticons, I think, were like when we construct a smiley face with a colon in a... Oh, okay. I see. Like now our phones translate that into a smiley face. Yeah. But before they were those things, those were emoticons. Okay. Okay. Emojis. I I might be wrong about this. Emojis are like the new... The pictures. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, um, there was a reference to... Yeah. We're having some slime. That's fine. Poured out. Okay. Yeah. We're just... We'll throw it away. Okay, great. Um, so we um, there was a reference to an emoji, but they were talking about how to making it with the characters yeah. on the keyboard. Uh-huh. And I just thought, gosh, that was 10 years ago. And how commonplace are emojis in our life now? That was 2011? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yes. Just another indicator of how fast the world changed with technology. Yes. I've been having a lot of, I, I guess it's the decade, a decade ago kind of thoughts. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Of course, I was 30. So In 2011. Oh, I was 29 in 2011. Yeah. So I, I guess that was a long time ago. I guess I had two children instead of... Were you... You were you were like already the pastor at UBC. Yeah. Since 2009, I've had like multiple life changes, isn't that? Or 2011. Yeah. I graduated college in 2009. I taught until 2012. Then I started seminary. Mm-hmm. And then I graduated in 2016. And then I started this job in 2017. That's great. It is great. That is a lot of life changes. Yeah. Do you like change? No. I love change. It, really? I love the adventure of conquering the new. Um, it is... No, I like to be good at things. That's so strange because I yeah. feel like you also like to be good at things. And when you start something new, you're always bad at it. That's true. I was bad at my job when I started. And so I... <laughs> I, th- yeah. This happened to the eye doctor the other day. And he was like, "Can you see these?" And I was like, "No." And then he was like, "Is this better?" And I, you know, you know, you have to go through the whole process. Yeah. And he and I was like, "No." And I found myself being like, I was like, 
this is annoying because I like to be good at things and you keep making me admit that I like am not good at this. And he was like, no, he did not empathize with me. <laughs> he was like, you know. This is science, Taylor. I don't care how you feel. <laughs> yeah, truly. Well, uh, anyways. Hey, um, two things related to basketball. Okay. Number one. Love it. Yeah. I was looking the other day at the Bucks draft history. Uh-huh. Because I read an article about Glenn Robinson getting in trouble. He was our number one pick in the mid-90s. Okay. And then I'm like, who? We haven't had that many number one picks. And Giannis was like our best pick ever. And he was like 17th or something. But um, Giannis was 17th? I don't remember. He, you know, he wasn't... I mean, he was good right away, but he wasn't great. He, yeah. he grew into superstar status. Sure, yeah. But you know what I forgot? What? You know who we drafted? Who? Dirk. Oh, oh yeah, and and then a trade, right? Oh my gosh. He never played, right? Like it was like immediately. I know, but Dallas. still, it's like that. I mean, arguably our greatest pick of all time. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we have benefited in a number of ways from trades like that. We also did not draft Luca. Right. We yeah. drafted Trey. Yeah. And isn't that weird? Yeah, and then the what is it? The Hawks, Atlanta. Why can't I think yeah. of it right now? Yeah, and then it was like a, a draft night trade. Yeah. Well, we did that with Stefan Marbury and Ray Allen. So we, um, the Bucks drafted Marbury and the Wolves had Ray Allen. And it was like we were four and five. And I can't remember who got who. But whoever had the four slot mm-hmm. was like, we'll get this and just a little more if we do this. Because <laughs> yeah. they really wanted Ray Allen and the Wolves really wanted Marbury. Yeah. I don't remember how that went. But they do that stuff. Yeah. Chris Webber, Anthony Hardaway. Remember that? Yeah. All that stuff is crazy. Yeah. Like, that's the part of the NBA that I really, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I know, I don't know how those decisions get made. Do I don't either. Mean? Okay, here's my other thing. Okay. And actually, uh, the credit for this is due to Kathleen Post. Okay, she's my sister. Guess who Dirk had a shirt of on the other day? Um, Baylor. Baylor Men's National Champion shirt. Yes, actually, do you know how she knows that? How? Kim Steuben sent me a picture that I showed Kathleen. So how did that go down? Do you know the story? Kim? No. About oh, Dirk? Dirk being a, a Baylor fan for a hot minute? It was a... Is it just like, hey, we're in Texas? It was one what... of the coaches posted it. So I wonder if he has... A connection. A connection, yeah. That must be to what one it of is. the coaches, yeah. Those coaches. Well, there you go. There you that go. was really exciting, though, I thought. It was really exciting. I mean, yeah, especially for me, it was like very, very exciting because I love Dirk so much. Okay, this is the last thing I have um, before we get to quiz. Do you have anything? Um, anything that I feel like it's been a slow like news week. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, with the there was the fellow in Minneapolis that was killed by police last night. That's gonna blow up. Last night? Yeah, I hadn't heard about that yet. Maybe it's because I have a lot of Minneapolis friends on my okay. Facebook feed, but. Yeah. It's, it's not looking good. Probably and so. And the George Floyd trial still and like not. Derek Chauvin the, trial. The, yes, I'm sorry. That's actually very okay. important to clarify. Yeah. Um, but yes, that this happened during this time. Well, it's never good that that happens, right? It's no. Also, but like, it's no. just like, oh, you couldn't script something worse. The mixture worse. of the two things, right? Somebody exactly. threw a match into a powder cake. It's like, yeah, people kept saying about 2020, like the writers are really like laying it on. That's kind of what that moment feels like. Yeah. Um, so anyhow. Um, that happened. That's going to be the news. I also, Ooh, the other thing to, in the news, not that people care, I've that. seen a lot about packing the courts this week. I have a lot of, a lot of articles about that. The Supreme Court. Oh. 
uh, who doing that? Well, because I think what happened is President Biden has commissioned a like a committee to investigate this. Oh, okay. Um, interestingly, though, he in the even in the campaign, the primary was against packing the court. Yeah. So I think this is maybe his way to buy time. Um. Well, I mean, you know, Trump would a lot of people would say President Trump did not the Supreme Court, but um, in the lower courts that it's like the number of judges he appointed is like higher than oh yeah um so yes well yeah that was gonna be my one tweet i didn't tweet was i actually don't think packing the court is a good idea but if ever there was a moment i didn't want to hear republicans get mad about a thing (laughs) it's gonna be over the supreme court it's right now right exactly well and especially because of the way they pushed amy coney barrett through yeah after not even considering no, it's Mary the Garland. it's the the hypocrisy of the Kavanaugh Barrett flip right. flop. Yeah, exactly. Let's push. Or who was the one that? No, it was Gorsuch was the one that they stymied Obama on. No, Merrick Garland. No, but he was his nominee. But who was the judge that then got in after President Trump was able to take up? I think it was Gorsuch. Okay, Gorsuch. So yeah. it's like him versus Amy. They like bookended it so they could take both of them. Yeah. So anyhow, there. I'm just again. What was in the news this week? That's what I saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Baylor. We were probably all a little tone deaf too, just because we were consumed with that. That's true. Yeah. Our that's, news feed was. That's probably that's really true. I lived on that high. Yeah. For a while. We of, needed it. Of like um, the national championship. Yeah. So yeah, I'm okay. just I'm trying to think of other things. Um, I watched a movie actually that I would oh, kind of like to talk about. Okay. Um. And if you ever have a minute to watch it, I would love to get your take on. And okay. it is called Unpregnant. Okay. And it is about a young woman in Missouri um, who finds out she's pregnant. There's a lot of backstory to it. You find out very early on in the movie, so I feel fine sharing that um, it is. Oh, that it is because well, it's at least because a condom broke, but it is potentially because. Her boyfriend like broke a condom they were using, and so on purpose. Yeah, potentially. Okay. Um, is this a Netflix movie? Is this a new movie? Is it's a we watched on HBO Max. Okay. So it's not Netflix, but I feel like it's of a similar. Variety. But it's a high dollar, big production. Movie. Yeah. Not like a a week it's away. It's not a week away. <laughs> <laughs> Which Toph watched that and he regretted that he did. I just love that this is spreading. Well, <laughs> I do feel like I think we talked about this last week. It was a fun movie to watch with Kathleen and Bray. Yeah. If I'd watched it by myself, I would have been like, I would have been like, I regret this. Yeah. That was a waste of my time. Um, but anyways, uh, she decides that the choice she wants to make is that she's going to get an abortion, uh, but she's seventeen, so she can't get one. Um, yeah. Without her, without parental consent, and so the closest place where she can do that is Arizona. Okay. So she teams up with her former best friend, mm-hmm. and they drive to Arizona, and hijinks ensue along the way. We hope you're enjoying the roars. <laughs> the dinosaur roars. Yeah. Um. So it's a pretty interesting movie. Yeah. And I would love to get your take on it at some point. Okay. Um. Especially, I wonder about, like, uh, as a 17-year-old, like, her having to get parental consent, but not feeling like she can talk to her parents about it. Mm -hmm. That's a tricky 
I think that's a tricky moment for me. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, like, I feel like you would have some insight into that moment. Well, I think I, we could probably say confidently that every parent would want to know yeah. every decision their child's making. Well, and it's 17, like, legally. Is it 17? On st- is it a state-by-state case, state-by-state case basis? Or is that, I thought it was 18. It's like just kind of the... At 18, you, I think she could make that choice. Oh, I see. So consent. 17. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a sort of thing where if if she's going to do it, I would rather know and be able to love her however I can. Yeah. Than not know and just have her be in a really scary emotional place without her, the people who love her. Yeah. So that would be my thing. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that. I think that so what's sense. your question though? Because I think every parent would say, is it that? Would I rather know and live with the choice if I was against it? Or is it that? I don't think it's a question as much as it's like, yeah. Just like I, I'm interested in your general sense of like, I feel like that's just a very fraught moment. Um, and, you know, we well, we've talked explicitly about abortion yeah. before. And like it is my belief that like women even young women get to make those choices for their bodies but when someone is 17 and they're potentially still making those choices with their parents then it's like um that becomes a tricky moment especially if they don't feel like they can make that decision with their parents yeah i don't and i don't necessarily know i guess what i would say and this is maybe because i have lose convictions anyways but i would rather know and support my daughter in her decision right than not know yeah and have her be alone in that decision yeah so because all would know eventually right right and then i would just regret that i wasn't able to be for her in any way well and maybe you wouldn't know for like decades or something like that and she would have to experience this so maybe what I can say is I think we are trying to foster really open conversations with our children about this stuff. Yeah. Without stigmas. Yeah. Because one of the biggest goals is not just to pass down our ethics and our desires, but to have them know that unconditionally we will support them. Well, and I think that's really smart because at the end of the day, this I do think this might lead a little bit into our into our conversation, the big conversation we're going to have today. But at the end of the day, everyone has to construct their own ethic. You know, mm-hmm. like at some point in your life, you, you the, your parents' ethic doesn't just get handed down to you. Right. But like as you mature, you desire to build your own ethic. And so if you're teaching kids to do that for themselves, then that is going to set them up better in the long term as opposed to just having them like memorize, wrote things. Was it well acted? Like, where it was it fun to watch? Other than yes, okay. that was probably because I would like to. The t- I'm intrigued, but I don't like wasting time in movies. I don't. No, the two te- teenage girls were very, both very charming, um, and you wanted to, you really wanted to root for them. Okay, continually noting the commentary we're dealing with here. These are, I think these are slime. It's like slime onomatopoeia that we're getting right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that is. He's making noises for the slime. For the slime. That is now in game pieces and all over. So, uh-huh. okay. Um, here's my last thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay. And I don't, I, there's a way to construe this that could be offensive. To me? 
No okay. to the population affected. I don't mean that. So help me navigate this carefully. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so now that we are in a phase of the world's development where we are all becoming more educated on the queer population and their needs and, and how to love them and what that's like and yeah. how people feel about it one way or another. Sure. Um, I have thought, and I've had this, this is the question, this is where, it's, but like, it feels like there's a big spike in people who identify on this, the queer, with one of the queer no, letters. Yes. Okay. I, well, just as an interesting side note, I saw a thing today, um, apparently somebody puts out every year, mm-hmm. like a week for uh, admissions to colleges, um, like a, just like facts about the class that's entering for like admissions counselors to like know that these are like the values and the knowledge that like and like the life events that these kids hold like for 2023 which i think is the incoming class right now it's like 9-11 is a historical event to them it is not an event they lived through yeah and um and so i saw this um information today and one of the pieces of information along with that piece about 9-11 was that um one third of them identify as like only two thirds of them would identify as heterosexual. Hmm. So one third, which is like uh, the number I've always heard is ten percent. So thirty three percent is much higher. Yeah. Say that stat again. Um. So uh, two thirds of this this current graduating class identify as heterosexual. So one third identifies as a variant. Yeah, well, as a, a member of the LGBTQ population. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, this is helpful. So I was talking to a young person who had proximity to who this would not be an inappropriate conversation for us to have. Okay. I don't want to identify them because it's people might know. But sure. they were saying, yeah, I had like a season where I kind of spent considering whether I was bi or whether I was. And it just dawned on me, oh, like, oh, that's not a... a, a developmental thing i ever crossed my mind right but i think probably is a new phase of consideration you know what i mean mm-hmm. with the way the world has changed yeah so this is my where this is going for me so i had wondered then like is there a, a seeming spike a just because of the circles i exist in b because folks who are in fact queer are finally able given permission or is it that um, a higher number of people are asking these questions, like just considering all these things? Well, I saw this mm-hmm. graph. I should oh. have screenshotted it. Okay. And it was talking about left-handedness. Oh. And the percentage of the population that identified left-handed over time. And um, then it, there was a period where children were punished for, for being left-handed. And were forced to write right-handed. Isn't that so strange? And on that period, <laughs> yeah, that period of time... That it was like four percent, and then there's this significant jump, and then it levels off at like twelve percent, and has been at forever. Oh! But I thought that was very helpful. Like, oh yeah, there is this probably period where it's like, whoa, what's going on? And then there is a okay, this is probably the real statistic reality that it will bear witness over time. A leveling off. So interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I do wonder though if. I do wonder, though, if those are two things that can be compared. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's why I was hesitant to bring it up. Well, I don't just mean, I don't, um, I don't think I, I don't, 
well, again, I shouldn't speak for any uh, population that I'm not a part of, but the idea that, like, this, so this was a thing that was oppressed that, like, people used to be punished for. And then when it started becoming um, 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 an acceptable thing, that it rose, you know, that there were people who said, like, well, actually, I am am left-handed. I don't think the comparison is offensive, but I do wonder, I could be wrong. Obviously, I should admit that here and now, that it might be offensive. But also, um, I think that, I just wonder if there's a difference in like sexuality and something stagnant in yeah, that I way. Yeah, I think so. And I should say my point in bringing this up is that um, I think I can imagine I'm going to make an assumption here okay. that there's a, a population of boomers who would feel like, oh, everybody's just gay now because you could be gay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what I think what was helpful about that left handedness thing is. No, there's like a, a, a kind of an ontology to this that is born witness over time through the statistical consistency of the percentage. Right. And I was thinking if we, if over time we see the same thing with the queer community, yeah. I think that would help settle everybody's um, yeah. anxieties about this. And I think it would add legitimacy, not that they need it. But, right. But not that it's needed. If but... people could see like, yeah, this is just kind of the percentage of the population that this is true about and maybe that will never be true maybe there's something about genetics i don't know yeah where it's like boom boom and it always be oh yeah that's also another interesting thing to think about is like is it the case that different generations will like the the case that that number in different that number in different generations will be different you know what i mean yeah is this a good idea? I don't know, but you know what? We're we're just gonna go with it. We're we've got a lot of slime going on at this point over here, you guys. Okay, um, that brings that to a conclusion. So now, guess what time it is? Time for the quiz. It is time for the quiz. Yay! Time for the quiz. Okay, hold on. Let me look it up. Oh no! Yeah, the slime. I was gonna warn you. Thank you for the delayed warning, I guess. Um, okay, here you go. There's so much of it. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and hit pause here for a okay. second. Hello, we are back for our quiz. This quiz is entitled, The Best General Knowledge Quiz Questions. Oh, good. Okay. Um, the first question is, what's the biggest animal in the world? The blue whale. Yes, you're right. Um, okay, the second one is for one point. What? Put the following. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> this quiz is full of many things. Put the following Kardashian Jenners in order of age, oldest to youngest. Is that a thing you would like to entertain? Yeah, I'll try. Okay, so Chloe, Kylie, Rob, Courtney, Kendall, Kim, and Chris. So how many are there total? Six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Um, oldest, Kim. Uh, no. Chris. Yes. Then Kim. Yes. Then... Chris, Kim. Oh, wait. No, not Kim. Kendall. Sorry. No. I give up. Okay. I know Kylie and Kendall are younger. Kylie's the youngest. Who's the makeup billionaire? Kylie. Micah. And Kim, technically. Okay. And... Um, uh, Courtney, it's... Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe. Okay. And then Kylie. 
Kendall and Kylie are both Jenners, technically. Yeah. So, so that's that's six. And, oh, and Rob is the youngest. Rob is the youngest. Oh, okay. Boy. Up and coming. But he's a Kardashian, not okay. a not a Jenner. Okay. Okay. Failed that one. I'm how, okay having failed that one, by the way. I don't know. Oh, how many times has Andy Murray won Wimbledon playing singles? Zero. Really? I don't know the answer. Well, I just know when he won the Olympic medal in London in 2012, that was a big deal because I don't think he had won Wimbledon at that point. He has won it twice, both past then, 2013 and 2016. Oh, good for him. Yeah, good for him. Way to go. Do you keep up with tennis? No. I mean, I know who the major players are. You know who the major players are? Yeah. Like Andy Murray? Yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to hear you that far away. Sorry. Oh. I know you're doing two things oh. at once. <laughs> Sorry. I completely forgot. Um, okay. Let me ask you a second. Another question. Which country is Brie Cheese originally from? Brie. That sounds like a a Belgish cheese. Belgish? Yeah. Uh, it's from France. 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 Um, so, oh, thank you. Uh, in what franchise would you find the character Katniss Everdeen? Um, that's The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Very right. It's blue. Yay. Um, what year was Heinz established? The Ketchup Company? Uh, 1857? Oh my gosh, do you know that? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> um, 1869. Okay. Pretty close. Yeah. Um, you don't seem impressed with yourself. Well, I, th- I was like trying to scan that bottle in my head because it's right on the bottle. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, at the time of writing, this is May 2020, okay. who is fifth in line to the British throne? Fifth? Yeah. Um, grandchild um, George Louis Louis is one of the grandchildren okay, right? Louis. Prince Louis of Cambridge oh no I think that yeah I'm way off okay I was thinking um, Henry what's no Harry and William's kid yeah that's what I was thinking William and Kate's kid yeah I um, think Louis is the older younger yeah so why would they be ahead of George I don't think he is oh okay I think it's the Queen, Charles, then William, William, George, and then maybe we're skipping. No, it. that's why he's fifth, because he'd be after George in case George... Well, be. but there is a daughter. Oh, I don't know then. I give up on knowing why. <laughs> Who could know? Um, okay. What is the capital of Iceland? Reykjavik. You're right. Who came second in the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2019? 2019? Mm-hmm. Was it the U.S.? It was not. Was it Brazil? It was not. I'm not going to get it. This is the Netherlands. Okay. I don't really keep up with soccer. I don't either. But. Um, I do when the women play. Yes. The U.S. women do good like every four years. That, that I follow. They do. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel as well. Um, what year did Margaret Thatcher die? Mm, 90, 2007. 13. Okay. On the 8th of April. There you go. <laughs> He's playing with the plate and he just said, oh yeah. <laughs> well, you do what you can. <laughs> um, what does IPA stand for? 
Do you know? Internet. Oh, no, on beer. Yeah. Um, Indian pale ale? Yes. How did you know that? Uh, I've been known to drink a few beers in the day. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, I guess. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't drink very much beer. It's not really my favorite. I don't drink much beer anymore, no. So, um, who painted the Mona Lisa? That's my friend, Leo da Vinci. (laughs) Your friend? Your dear friend? Yep. Um, what is the planet? It is, yeah, it is Leonardo da Vinci. What's the planet closest to the sun? That's my planet Mercury. Your planet Mercury. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. What is Queen Elizabeth II's surname? Kensington. <gasps> Kensington, I hope so. I made that up, I have no idea. Um, Windsor. Yeah. Her full name is Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor. Yeah, Windsor. I should have guessed. It's a Canadian whiskey as well. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, okay. Who plays Del Boy Trotter in Only Fools and Horses? What? I have no idea. I've never even heard of that movie. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. I don't have should very I... good general knowledge, I guess. Should I know of that movie? I don't know. Um, what's the largest country in the world? Russia. Yes. Because it has, um, the, the what's ti- it called? Tiberia. Is it? Siberia. Siberia. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's certainly true. Um, I mean, it is true. It's, it's what the quiz says is true. Um, Okay. Which fashion designer reportedly had a relationship with Winston Churchill? Oh, I don't know. Um, Think of a fashion designer. Uh, Mar- I'm going to just guess it. Um, Vera Wang. <laughs> no, I don't think they were like um, of having a fair age at the same time. I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Who is it? Churchill? Yeah, Winston oh, Churchill. Oh, okay. So he was the 40s. Yeah. Um, let me. Who's been around a long time? You can get it. I I will. No, I'm sorry. Oh, about yeah, I don't place. think I'll get it. It's Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel. How many valves does the heart have? Four. Oh, valves. Valves. Yeah, four. Uh, no, yeah. I'm thinking chambers. Okay. The right. mitral, tricuspid, aortic, and the pulmonic valves. The old pulmonic valves. The old pulmonic valves. What is the name of the school in sex education? This is so... That's like a... The school health? Random... What do you mean school? Is there a specific school that just does health? I think, it's, I think it's a movie. Ooh, fun. Okay. I think it's a movie. Yeah, I don't know. Me neither. Moordale High is what it's called. Okay. That sounds like an 80s movie. Yeah, I think it is. Um... Okay, I definitely want to get to this one. In Harry Potter, what is the name of the Weasley's house? The Burrow. The Burrow. You're correct. Put these Tom Hanks films in chronological order. Okay. Catch Me If You Can. Okay. Forrest Gump. Okay. The Terminal. Okay. And Bridge of Spies. Mm. Bridge of Spies is the most recent. Forrest Gump's the oldest. So, um, the two in the middle were Catch Me If You Can and what was the other one? The Terminal. I think those came out close to the same time. 
Um, they did. It tells me the year, so it's just two years apart. Yeah, I think that Catch Me If You Can came out before The Terminal. You're right. Forrest Gump, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, and Bridge of Spies. Um, okay. Okay. So there's 49 questions total. Let's just, that was 21. Let's get to 25. Okay. So 22. Typically, what four ingredients go into a cosmopolitan cocktail? Cosmo. Vodka? Um, let me get. Yeah. So four ingredients. Yeah. Um, I actually don't drink Cosmos, but vodka. Yeah. Is there uh, like a blue Caraca or whatever that's called? Curacao? Yeah, Curacao. Um, no. I don't know. Um, they're not blue colored. I, see, I don't drink Cosmos. come in every color, I feel like. No, they're pink. Oh, okay. That's helpful. Um, I don't know. Some pomegranate something? Uh, cranberry juice. Cranberry juice. Yeah, I give up. Okay. Well, you have to remember it was made in like the... Or 90s and early 2000s. Sex and the City was big? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, like, I feel like pomegranate juice is a more recent, like, oh, everyone's into pomegranate juice. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, fresh lime juice, vodka, cranberry juice, and then triple sec or Cointreau or orange liqueur. Okay. It's actually, like, it's just that the cranberry juice makes it pink. Like, everybody likes those flavors right do you know what i mean mm -hmm. i actually don't like <laughs> cranberry juice very much so but it's just not for girls or whatever uh, typically no alcoholic beverages should be for girls young girls <laughs> women um 23 who has been the first minister of wales since december 2018 no idea these are i don't know if these are general knowledge things she's you know very european yeah that's true um, Mark Drakeford, hmm. or at least that was true in May of 2020. Um, okay. Which city had the first ever fashion week? Milan. Hmm. New York. I never would have guessed. Hmm. In 1943. I mean, I would have thought it was a contender. Yeah, that's true. It's not out of the conversation. What nut? Okay. This is the last question. Question 25. What nut is in the middle of a Ferrero Rocher? Hazelnut. Yes. Good job. All right. Did you keep track of your... How many rights and wrongs? Yeah. No, I didn't. Me neither. So we'll just say I did a good job. You did a great job. Well, Taylor, guess what time it is. Time for our sponsor. Okay. Today, our sponsor is East Market and Goods. And I went there for the first time this week. Josh, have you been there? Mm-mm. You haven't been there? No. It's um, an Asian grocery store, and they have all sorts of uh, goods, all sorts of fun grocery items that you can uh, get. We got um, QP mayonnaise, which is a Japanese mayonnaise. Hot dog. It's made... What do you make with that? Uh, I think you can just use it the same way you use mayonnaise, but um, it's made with whole egg yolks instead okay. of just the... The eggs, uh, the whites and yolks, and it's supposed to be very delicious. We haven't used it yet, but I'll keep you updated because I know you're so interested. Well, I, I do like uh, culinary exploration. <laughs> we also got, they had a bunch of frozen goods, and we, <laughs> we got some. Um, so we got some really good, like, steamed buns that we were just able to throw in the microwave and then eat. Oh, good. It was really, really cool. They have a lot of fun drinks, a lot of fun desserts. 
Um, Kathleen got some mango, like mochi ice cream stuff. It was really cool. So, um, if you are interested in sort of, um, oh, also they had a lot of produce that they don't have in like H-E-B. And I think H-E-B has a pretty good produce section. So, but it was just different types of stuff. And, um, so it was really good. We were really excited and we can hopefully make some, uh, make uh go back again and make some fun uh recipes that we maybe wouldn't have the ability to make just from like what's at heb so if you are interested also you know what they had a bunch of like um it wasn't all just like asian uh food supplies it was also uh they had a bunch of sort of uh mexican and central american stuff so that was like a world market food place there yes yeah it was really great and i I really enjoyed it. It's small, so you can walk around. I love I love a small grocery store, and so me and Kathleen had a really great time. And where can we find the East Market? The East Market is at sixty five hundred Woodway Drive, and it's over there by Nightlight Donuts. Oh, great! So yeah, another one of our sponsors. Yes, it's in that share. It's in that little shared shopping center. So yeah. we had a great time. You could also call them at two five four three hundred four one seven six and you should go and support them because it's a really fun little place and they're gonna have uh prepared food soon so you oh, can good. go pick up some stuff and then kind of like snack lunch. like you do at sam's club yes yes yeah exactly all right so it should be really fun and we are back we're back it is two days later it is we're in the quietness of our office yeah and wow what a whirlwind week i've had yeah, yeah. I just had a crazy week. Yeah, every, I, bet I was in the emergency room for eight hours yesterday. Eight hours? Well, six. It took them that long. Wow. Yeah, Lindsay was not feeling well. And we still don't have answers, so I don't know that, what to tell you. I know. That's the worst. Yeah. When they don't have anything, they're just like, uh, I mean, yeah. seems true that you feel the way you're saying you feel, but yeah, we've got nothing. Yeah, this is pretty deflating. She's going to see our real doctor today. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, hey, uh, people didn't tune in, though, to hear me talk about my medical problems. Maybe they did. Maybe, Maybe they that, did. they've been hoping for that this whole yeah, time. Yeah, well, call me if you care. Um, <laughs> so, Taylor. Yeah. Here's what I want to talk about today. Okay, let's talk about so it. So, I'm on the Twitters. Sure. And um, I have noticed, and of course, this could be algorithms, this could be how my feed's curated, that uh, there's a lot of people talking about reconstruction or deconstruction yeah. and also complementarianism. Yeah. Um, and part of the complementarianist stuff is that Beth more recently um, disavowed it. Well, yeah, mostly. And then also, I we talked about uh, there's a Beth Allison Barr from Baylor just released a book on women in the Bible and the church. Yes. And how. The oppression of women is a cultural construction, not a biblical one. It is, in fact. That's true. So, um, what I was expressing to you, excuse my yawns, is that with both these things, and the, I, I'm surprised, and I shouldn't be surprised, but it felt to me like we had dealt with these things. Complementarianism and deconstruction? Yeah. And when, when I say that, I meant evangelicalism. And You felt like evangelicalism? Yeah, I'm like... And, and then I thought, everybody just picked a side. Either you're going to turn further into this stuff or you're going to reject it. 
So, like, I think when I came here to UBC and the very first book I did in a book study was called Adventures and Missing the Point with Brian McLaren and Mm -hmm. Tony Kimball. So, like, to me, this vibe is very old. We've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And I thought the sands were lines drawn. And so much so for me, like, I just, I don't even have an emotional response to some of these conservative ideas anymore. Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's, people believe that and we're so far apart. It's apples, oranges. So, it's not, your surprise is not so much that people might disagree with you, but it's right. like that people are still even talking about right. those things. Yes. But then I'm like, well, no, these are new every generation, I guess. And yeah. so I've thought maybe I should re-engage. Maybe I could be a mouthpiece in some of these things. Yeah. Maybe people still care. Uh, people do st- certainly still care. Yeah. And I don't think... Um... Uh, and I don't think, well, yeah, I think every year, right? There's like, um, I think particularly with like complementarianism, every year there's young women graduating from high school, starting college, and they grew up in a complementarian camp. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not camp exactly, but you know, like well, in a household living. at least where that was the thing. And then they go to college where they are confronted with different ideas and you know taught that like it's not just um crazy liberals that don't that think that women are equal to men but that there are also other christians who think that women are equal to men so i guess it's like every year it's kind of happening afresh yeah well and this makes sense you know like i think there's a little bit of arrogance in here but i remember when i came here in 2004 and I would see seminarians going to other churches and never understand why. Uh-huh. And then be like, we just don't agree. Yeah. And then I, I do realize people um, come to UBC over the years. This is going to sound really arrogant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, did you figure it out? Like yeah, that church sure. really had oppressive beliefs. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm better because I feel like we've been floundering in so many ways for so long. I'm like, no, there should be a lot more people here. <laughs> maybe not here but there should be a lot more people at other churches yeah that um have believed differently about these things in a healthy way for a long time yeah. and i'm just stunned that we're now getting here well i i do think that there are people who um they don't quite understand the the way like they're like i can go to this church um that tells people what to believe in a rote kind of way and I can go to this church that, you know, sort of oppresses the image of God and women. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, do, I know those things aren't great. Mm-hmm. But, like, I can still go to a church that thinks those things. And, um, and sort of think, like, that they're not contributing to the oppression. But it's like, I mean, I think the Beth Allison Barr article is really interesting. I, I want to read the book. Um because what the article seemed to say was like uh, that she eventually had this moment where she was like when i'm if when i'm being silent when i'm keeping silent i am furthering the oppression of the women around me and myself yeah that part i think is really interesting and relevant yeah i think this is a way i can ask the question i don't mean it to be snooty at all okay but this and it's like genuinely i'm curious right like you're going to read that book all the history stuff, you're not going to learn a thing, though. No. You've known this for... Yeah. And, and this is the surprise for me. It's like, this data's been out there for a long time. Yeah. Why are we still being our heads 
against these, you know. Well, I think because there are, um, there are still whole groups of people that, well, they either don't believe the data, they think it's wrong somehow. Yeah. Or, um, they know it, but that's not the place they focus when they're teaching on like the, um, you know, sort of the importance of what a relationship between men and women should look like. Yeah, and I suppose that was a good answer because ultimately I think my question is one about sort of the spiritual pedagogy that we all take on as we de and reconstruct. Yeah. Um, and that was an answer to that. I think um, also I need to be cognizant of even if you have data, you, you really can't see it till you're ready to see it. You really can't learn it. Yeah. Learn it. Yeah. There's something to be said about the the like lived experience of living with the, the knowledge and the data. Yeah, I remember too. Um, my my mentor, Pastor Greg Boyd mm-hmm. um, from college. He is pretty flex. Popular. Yeah. Well, there it is. I mean, it's not like we had a, but um, he did a video one time I watched, and he was talking about the Amish community or the Mennonite community specifically, and talking about the hermeneutics of obedience mm-hmm. and their conviction. And this is not quite the same, but I think it's relevant. Is okay. that there are some things, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, some truths that you really can't understand until you live them. Mm-hmm. Like try them on and wear them. Yeah. And so I always need to be mindful of that and think, be generous in my. Well, uh, this is yeah. This reminds me of a particular moment actually in seminary, which is to say, I I entered seminary um, with a sort of like home training that told me that women obviously were equal to men in all ways and in every capacity. And then also training from the church that told me that that was not true. The thing about complementarianism that does drive me off the wall a little bit is it is just like very definitely separate but equal, which is like a thing we already tried it as, as a society and like it didn't work, you know? Right. And so, um, but so that was sort of what I came into seminary with and being like, I don't quite get this, but that's what everyone keeps saying, you know? And um, pretty quickly, because true, it was a place that was so affirming of women. Um, I, I sort of figured out some things um, in my hermeneutic or whatever. But I do remember at the end of, I think it's that first class I took with Alan Lefevre. It's like church history, I think, or Christian history. And he does a panel at the end with women. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. So he brought in three pastors. And I remember... I didn't have him, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, you didn't? Okay, no. yeah. He brought in... No, I don't think they were all pastors, but three women who were doing something in the church. And they came in and talked about different moments that had been meaningful for them in their sort of evolution as women who are uh, who work in the church. And... One of them talked about how she was helping with a scripture translation. And the first time that she really realized that like all of those he's or him's or men or whatever, that a lot of them are gender neutral. They could apply to women like they you could use a female pronoun just as easily as you could use a male pronoun. And the first time she read sort of uh that translation or a scriptural translation that like that said like uh that used either both pronouns or you know chose a feminine pronoun that she wept and i remember thinking Hmm. that doesn't 
seem important to me. <laughs> in what way? Um, well, I just thought like, no, I know when it's a like male well, pronoun. That exegetical tidbit didn't seem important to you. It feel right to me. I mean, okay. I wasn't like, I thought that's great for her, but like it doesn't do much for me. And then, um, you know, and then now when I do encounter things that are gender neutral or we're like, um, God is referred to in the feminine or, um, you know, things like that. I am very moved. At, like at the time, it wasn't moving to me for whatever reason. Sure. And now it is very moving to me. And so there is something about the lived experience that it's just like throughout the course of your life, you can think well, like, this doesn't it, seem important. Like when you see it, is it that somebody, it feels like a form of care. Somebody was intentional about noticing this and making a note of it so that yeah i think that's part of it but also it just is like the deeper theological truth yeah yeah well i just remember like growing up it was full on like i never thought at all about like god being referenced in the feminine do you know but it's like and then after that it was like well that it never happens which is like not true God is referenced in the feminine in scripture. And so it just is, yeah, it's both of those things. The, that someone was careful and thoughtful and also the, the deep truth that like is more and more important to me every day, you know? Hmm. Well, I like that. I'm glad you shared it. Oh, good. Thanks. So here's what I wanted to do today. Okay. I was thinking, okay, we're still doing this, mm -hmm. meaning culture, yeah. society, Christians. And then I thought, I've been disengaged from this stuff for a long time because I thought this was done. Okay. But I'm like, you know what? Let's re-engage. Yeah. Let's. And I, so I asked you and me uh -huh. to prepare lists of things we've learned. Um, and at first I said the other side of deconstruction. But I think, well, this could be one of my points. It's not. But reconstruction never ends. No, yeah. And probably deconstruction doesn't either. Yeah, it feels like a circle. Yeah, so, um, but what are some things that we're holding on to currently after having moved through some of those debates about open theism and Calvinism and Arminianism and complementarianism and yeah. evangelicalism? All those things. All the isms. Yeah. So, did you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, yeah, I would like for you to go first. Okay, first of all, I want to plug a podcast. Okay. Um, Richard Rohr did, was a guest on Rob Bell's podcast. And if you look at Rob's podcast, it's in the 80s. It's like episode 88 or 89, I think. I can't okay. remember. But it's Richard Rohr talking about the seven new principles of orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with everything he says in the hour and a half deal, but it's pretty great. Okay. So there's a plug. Okay, so here's my five reconstructed points to talk through. Okay. Numeral uno. Yeah. I think I now have a more holistic anthropology. Yes. Anthropology, anthropos, the word for man. Uh -huh. There it is again. There's that yeah. patriarchal. Word for human. Yeah, human. Um, so here's what I mean by this. For the good and the bad. Number one, um, import the sacred secular conversation we have all the time mm -hmm. about beauty. Mm -hmm. I now can drink deeply from wells in the world that were taboo before. Yeah. Because I can recognize that these are also from God. Mm -hmm. And um, my evangelical past was too quick to label things bad and good. Mm -hmm. So I get to kind of be Epicurean in this way yeah. a little bit more. So that's fun. Oh, I like that word. Um, 
The and, but I also have a other side of the coin too. Okay. I think I'm able to have a more comprehensive and better understand of sin. Mm-hmm. So I was saying the other day, Barbara Brown Taylor has this book called Speaking of Sin, and she talks about sin as a um, a way to speak about a thing theologically. Mm-hmm. So the word, the Greek word is amartia, or the Hebrew word, I can't remember. Amartia? Because that's Hebrew. Um, I don't remember which is which. How can I? No, I think it's Greek. Yeah, that sounds Greek. What's there's a Hebrew word? It'll come to me while we're thinking. But anyways, it means literally to miss the mark. So if you're shooting at a target, you hit the outer ring instead of the bullseye. Right. Okay. Um, which I say that because my evangelical notion of sin was like your sin killed Jesus. Right. Your sin put the lashes in his back. Your sin, God's blood poured out. Shame on you. You yeah. know, like. And I think there was an emphasis on how bad sin is. I don't want to take away from that. I think sin is awful. Sin yeah. is broken. Sin is also what um, people in Minneapolis are mourning about the young death of right. a black man right now. Right. Sin is awful. Yeah. But um, anyhow, so she, in her book, Barbara Brown Taylor says, the medical community has a word, they call it sickness. The judicial community has a word, they call it crime. It, in theology, we call it sin. And um, that's not to say if you're sick, it's because you sinned. You have to read the book for the nuance. Sure. Um, but the point being is um, it's a particular way to understand kind of the off-kilter nature of a human. Mm-hmm. And she has this chapter called Sin is Our Only Hope. Mm-hmm. And what she means is once we can understand it for what it is, we can then um, get better from it. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't given that framework to think about brokenness and sin in my life before. Yeah. Once we understand it for what it is, yes. then we can get better for it. Yeah. And like, you know, it's just a, a broader umbrella of human brokenness, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and some of this gets into atonement, which I don't have on my list, but it's also what a Jesus rectify on the cross is a different thing too. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. A more holistic anthropology. Yeah. Number two, um, I think I am more compassionate and a better global citizen. Oh. So I believe in the particularity of Jesus still, which mm-hmm. I think is where I depart from some of my liberal friends. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean the two doctrines that are most important for me are Trinity and two natures. Mm-hmm. But because of my pneumatology, which mm-hmm. is also on my list, um, I'm able to see that um, God is prolifically active at work in the world. And though I believe distinctively in Jesus's identity and uniqueness mm-hmm. in rescuing the world's sin problem, I'm also fine by saying, I don't know what God could be up to over there because God could be doing it however God wants to. Yeah. And so I'm able to be more generous as a global citizen. Mm -hmm. And that has felt great. That is really, that's a really good way to think about that, I think. Okay, number three. Mm -hmm. Um, This is um, kind of my bibliology, but it's more my pneumatology. So Mm -hmm. a more robust pneumatology. Uh-huh. And I always have that Calvin quote where he says, "Without the Bi- or without the Spirit, the Bible's a dead book." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what that has allowed me to do with the Bible is to realize, yes, the Bible is the Word of God, but without the Spirit, it's just the Word about God. Mm-hmm. And I think that category of a Word about God instead of Word of God is helped me to locate some really harmful things okay. that can be read to hurt people. Yeah. And here's what's wild. I think with the spirit, even those can be read and preached redemptively. Mm-hmm. But it takes context, work, and effort, and truth. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, it is the word of God. Yeah. But a robust pneumatology has allowed me to say of the Bible, there's the word about God and the word of God. Yeah. Number four, um, conviction is a priority for me over certainty now. And this is a big one. Okay. So I no longer worry about being certain 
about things. Uh-huh. So I think about that Nicole C. Mullen song, For I Know My Redeemer Lives. Uh, this might have been before your time. But she gets to, she's, have you ever heard that song? For I know no. my Redeemer lives. Oh, I know. She gets to the part, she's like, oh, for I know that I know that I know that I know that I know my Redeemer. Okay, maybe like I the, have heard For it, me, yeah. it's like the song of certainty. Okay. And I think I probably at one point to think like to not be certain was to be not have faith. Mm. And now I think about it all differently. I'm like, I think I have faith for the first time because I'm not certain. Right. I have convictions and I act upon my convictions and my faith is participation in that conviction. Which, if you look at, this is a little bit of a nuance, if you look at the subjunctive genitives they're called, this is the occurrence of pistis Christu. This is the Greek construction, Jesus Christ, in the genitive form. There's a debate about whether it's subjective or objective. And the big difference is, objectively, it's read our faith in Christ. Subjectively, it's read the faithfulness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, And um, it is wildly different ramifications for our soteriology. Right. One is we just believe and we're saved. The other is we participate in the work of Christ and we're redeemed. Yeah. So I think good scholars will say there's both readings throughout the text. Yeah. But um, I think that a subjective reading makes room for this notion of faith where it's like a conviction that you act on. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. Number five. This is my last point. Okay. Faith and mystery are competing theological ideas. Um, let's say, and they are gifts, not tensions. Hmm. So mystery and saying I don't know doesn't detract from my convictions. It's a way to rest and not having to figure them out and yeah. trust God. And those are gifts, not tensions. Yeah. So those are my five reconstructed things. I love those. Those Thank are you. really great. Thank you. Also, I a thing that I knew would happen has happened, which is that well, actually I think our lists overlap. Yeah. But like, of course, I have thought about them. Yeah. In like different ways. Well, and what's great is, I mean, I thought about at one point just going through like a introduction to a systematic theology. And I bet with each thing, theology of the spirit, theology of doctrine, God proper, theology mm-hmm. of the Bible, you could kind of rewrite one for each one. But I'm like, these are what I really abide in. So I just want to do five. Yeah. So but maybe you'll hit some of those other ones I didn't get to. Maybe. We'll see. It is. Um, the way I thought about this question was very different. Um, as far as like reconstruction goes and like what the process out of deconstruction looks like. Yeah. And also I think you're very correct. Well, also I think it's interesting cause like a lot of what we were talking about last week when it came to like bodily resurrection, it like to me, I rest a lot in that mystery. So like some of those things, it's like, I don't, um, you know, I don't think a lot, like I don't think very much about like the end of days cause I'm just like. I don't know what will happen there. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm just not pressed about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I trust that, um, you know, God is working for good. And so, like, I don't have to think. I just, and I'm not also not interested in a lot of those things. So I don't think much about it. Anyways. Okay. Um, but, Okay. My list is, I don't, I don't know that it's in any particular, well, it is sort of in an order, but I guess this is my list of like how or what parts 
what things were necessary for me to like begin reconstruction. Oh, that's a good way to frame it. Okay. And so one of the things I think that I had to do is give myself um, as much time as possible, like as much time as was necessary to uh, deconstruct and then get ready to reconstruct again. Okay. So like um, I think there's a real and one of the reasons that deconstruction is on is the topic of today and like why people are talking about it on Twitter is I think somebody wrote a book about it. Um, that's like, this is exactly how you should deconstruct in no other way. And it's like, that is just like (laughs) really missing the point of deconstruction. And, um, and so a lot of sort of, I think Christian famous Twitter has been talking about it. Um, and I think there's a real fear that like, as somebody begins to deconstruct, it's really them walking away from the church, Mm. you know? And I think that you can feel that within yourself. Like you're like, you're like burning things to the ground inside of you that you've always believed and it can feel really scary and you can feel like lost in the wind of it all. But like, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a stage of faith. Like everybody goes through it. You have to construct your own faith. You know, you don't have to, there are lots of cultures actually where people sort of believe things together but um if you if the context you're in is america then like building your own faith and understanding of like um spirituality and who god is and what that means for you is a part of being um a spiritual person and so um i think that like you have to live in the grayness and the scariness of it all for just as long as you need and not tell yourself like i should be reconstructing at this point because I think if you try to do it because you feel a sense of like I should do this or someone else wants me to do this um then you're you're just going to end up back I think in the grayness of it all so creating space and time for it to happen on its own terms yes okay yes um and then I think the second thing um for me that I had to do as I sort of started putting things back together was um you have to have a way to reckon with scripture. Yeah. Like you have to find a way to read it. Um, and I, and you know, I think for me that's, I have a very wide lens of what that could look like for people, but like you have to find a way to read it and um, feel like it applies to your life. You know, you know, what's so interesting about that. Can I jump in here? Yes, please. Um, that's so true. And talking about like, walking around the, the labyrinth or circle of deep reconstruction mm-hmm. is even the, after we had made the decision at UBC mm-hmm. and maybe this is some three stuff of being disconnected with myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, now that I passed our church where this is in fact the case, I feel like I've, I finally completely wholly latch onto my belief about this. Yeah. But it did also click in me. Okay. Now you have to re-reckon with scripture in some other ways. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I had to start reading the women in slavery text the other way. Mm. So um, to unpack that a bit, like I was saying the hermeneutical trajectory of the liberation of women and slavery was always continually loosing, so to speak, to use a rabbinical mm-hmm. term, yeah. which is why for the longest time I was able to say these are okay, but the homosexuality texts were still read restrictively or binding. Right. Right. So after I made the leap and found a hermeneutical way to do so, I then had to go back though and do the opposite and say, wait a minute though. 
maybe these other things are actually restrictive and I just haven't been honest about that. Mm. And I now need to rethink the scripture again. Yeah. And find a way to read these. Yeah. Um, Brie retweeted something the other day and, uh, it really got me. It said, just cause you call it orthodoxy doesn't mean it's not oppressive. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, man. Yeah. I saw, um, that, like just that idea I think is pretty, if you're open to it is, you know, pretty, I, eye opening or causes you at least to have a bunch of questions. So what does that mean for you? Does it mean that the church has believed and put a stamp on oppressive things or that people have misinterpreted orthodoxy? Uh, hold on. Can you ask that again? Does that mean for you that the church, that orthodoxy has been wrong or that people have misunderstood orthodoxy? I think, I think for me, it mostly means like that people have misunderstood orthodoxy. Okay. Um, and that there, because you know, there are people walking around willing to say um, things that are that are oppressive and call it orthodoxy. And I think that um, I don't. I mean, I don't. I you know, it's my understanding that that is not the the work that God is doing in the world. You know. Um, so I would call those misunderstandings of scripture or misunderstandings. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody ever thinks they have wrong theology while they hold it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we all think we have orthodox. Well, I should say that (laughs) I have some beliefs that I actually don't think are orthodox, but I also have those circles of dogma, doctrine, opinion, and the things that are just edgy. I just put on the edgy circles. Yeah, it's edgy. That's why I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) Dogma, doctrine, opinion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a place to put those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so I think you have to uh, find a way to reckon with Scripture. Um, and I think that's, I think that can be a bunch of different things. Do you know what I mean? But, like, I, I, it's pretty integral to being able to, like, put things back together. Yeah. Um, and also, it doesn't have to be, like, all at one time you're like i know how to interpret all of scripture now do you know what i mean but it's like you maybe you find things in the gospels that you're like okay i can work around this and then you know later it's things other places and yeah um and also i think that a lot of people you know i you know so the way i read a lot of the old testament is that it is like origin myth and that is a thing that people don't necessarily know mm-hmm. that they can read scripture that way. Do you know yep. what I mean? Like they grew up hearing that the only way to read scripture is like very literally. Yeah. And so, so some of that work I think is sort of more academic than like even lived. Do you know what I mean? To find out that like you maybe could read scripture a different way than you thought you could before and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and then my, uh, my next piece was, uh, that you have to find, I'm trying to think, because there's a bunch of things I want to wrap up in this. Um, and I think it has some to do with what you were talking about with, what was your point about sin? A more holistic anthropology. So I, I think we need, we needed, I needed not such a shameful way to talk about sin so that I could actually deal with it. Yes. Um, yes. So it's something to do with that, but, um, 
I think also it's like important. I think after the work of like reckoning with scripture, the next work is to find important like um, liturgies, rituals, and spiritual disciplines that are meaningful to you. And I think they can come from a lot of different places. And some of that has to do with, yeah, so I do think it overlaps with your point because it has to do with the sacred secular conversation and like learning to drink from wells other than maybe things that were like, you know, strictly fundamentalist evangelical Christian wells and being able to see beauty and find God in other places in the world. Um, And so I think that that work is very important as you begin to reconstruct because I think it has a lot to do also with um, what you said on Easter Sunday about no longer like digging around in graves and graveyards that don't do anything for us anymore. Yeah, but did do something for us at one point. At some point, yeah. Which I think is also always important to acknowledge, like, you know, as much as you, this isn't one of my points, but I think as much as you can, you try to build, um, you try to build a sense of thankfulness and gratitude for the people who handed you the faith. And sometimes that can't be done. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I do think sometimes that has become so dangerous and toxic that you can't be thankful to those people. But I think most of the time there you can find places to be thankful, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that we're that, um, I think that that is an important step in reconstruction is like learning how to think about sin and also learning how to, um, find things that are meaningful for you to like re to sort of like, um, sort of connect with the spirit as you like grow into like more and more into hopefully the image of Christ, you know? Well, because um, likely some of those streams of life giving, you're going to have to overcome the, um, the voice that's told you that those can't be formative. <laughs> right. Or Christian. Yes, exactly. That those things are from the devil or something. So I'm taking notes on yours and I have point three spiritual formation practices that work for you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I only had four. I mean, I told Josh that before we got started, but, and then finally, I think, um, you have to find a community to do that work in. Oh, that's good. Um, and, uh, I, and I, I think that for a million reasons, I think this one for some reason is the hardest for me to articulate. Um, like why, uh. I think that's true, but in some ways I think it's true because I think it's what scripture calls us to, what the, what the gospel calls us to is to be in community um, with other believers and other people generally. And um, so I think that's one of the important things. But I also think that um, I think as humans that's a thing that we need. And I also think that um, this is a hard... I mean, I'm trying to think of what I think. I mean, the path is narrow. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to do this work on your own. Um, and so to find, like, fellow compatriots who are, like, walking through the world in the same way, trying to walk through the world in the same way you are, even if it looks very different, do you know what I mean? But just to have people to support you is a necessary part of this work, I think. Yeah. No, that is – that's so good. Mm-hmm. You know what's fun about our lists? Um, <laughs> what? I – this isn't totally true of either of them, but as is often the case, your instinct was sort of to go 
orthopraxy, uh-huh. which is human. Yeah. And my uh, thing was to go orthodoxy, which is like from above or divine. Right, yeah. But it's such a good list for both. So yeah. I stuck your four points between my five. You'd have a way to do it. Yeah. Gosh, we're good. Hopefully. <laughs> I have a closing image, unless you want this conversation to go on forever. Um, I don't want this conversation to go on forever, but I do have one thing I want to say. Yeah. Um, and it is, I sort of, I gave you a little teaser about it beforehand, but um, this conversation has made me think a lot about my, the conversation I had with um, the guest stars of our podcast at this point, the fifth and sixth graders. Yeah. And um, we did a recap on Friday of all the five lessons we've learned so far. And those lessons are creation, the fall, suffering, Noah's Ark, and the Tower of Babel. So you moved through the... Um the primeval history. Yes. Okay. And um, each of those lessons has a little thing that you, an uh, icon you draw on your hand each week to like remember the lesson. And first of all, I was like, do you guys remember like the lesson of each story? And um, so I was like, like creation, what do we learn from that? And the thing we learned and the thing they said was like um, that God created everything. God created everything good and that we are created good and that God created us good. And they remembered that, which was amazing. They remembered all of them, actually. And then the fall is um, sort of the lesson about sin and the idea that we all mess up, we all make mistakes, we make bad choices sometimes, um, and that God is still, um, that that's okay, everyone does that, and that God is still committed to being in relationship with us. And then suffering was... um, you know that occasionally we experience bad things because people are out we're all out here making mistakes and that god is with us in that pain that god promises to be with us and um the flood that's a tough one uh i'm trying to think of like the little snippet well actually i'll tell you what happened when we got to the flood one of them was like i was like you guys remember the lesson for this one and one of them was like oh yeah um it's a." Uh, it's about, right, like the covenant, like God promised never to like do that again because God's committed to be in relationship with us. And I was like, <laughs> okay, yes, also covenant. Wow, what's happening? And then the Tower of Babel is about like, you know, they were trying to build a name for themselves. They weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about community. And we should do those things. And then they each got to draw on their hand the little symbol that they remembered. Um, like what their favorite symbol was. Okay. And then I asked each of them to say like why it was their favorite symbol. And one of them had chosen the creation story. And she said, um, well, I chose the creation story because it's just like it's a good reminder for me that like God loves me and God created me to be good. And that like I'm not going to be forgotten because God loves me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's an amazing answer. Thank you. And then the next one said, well, I chose the Tower of Babel because sometimes I'm a little self-absorbed and I should be thinking about God and other people more often. Wait, can you please tell me who said this? <laughs> that was Ruby. Okay. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. And then the, ne- the last one said, we only had three people on Sunday. The last one said, um, I chose the fall because like sometimes... When I make a mistake, I'm like really, really hard on myself. And so it's like I should remember that like everybody makes mistakes and God still loves me. And I was like, what is happening? I was like in secret tears. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> like this is the most amazing 
conversation I've ever had with 10-year-olds. And so basically maybe they've already deconstructed and reconstructed everything and we should just let them lead the church. Well, and again, I made this point when we first talked about the fifth and fifth and fifth and sixth graders, but um, two observations on that fourfold development scale we talk about. Mm-hmm. One is the naivete of those first few stages is really beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and the other observation is, in its purest form, that's what the wisdom tradition gets back to. Yeah, is being able to hear those stories for what they are and let let the text minister to yeah. us through the spirit. And so. Um, it's not. I'm not surprised at all that that's such a life giving thing. Yeah, they were so great, and it didn't. It did make me remember. I think it's sort of what inspired some of my first point, is that I remember in like the deepest depths of deconstruction, like really fully, like I don't know if you experienced this, but like seminary deconstruction that wasn't just about like scripture, but was about like mostly like the societal things I'd been taught by the church that actually don't have anything to do with. Um, Christianity I remember a deep deep pain of like this used to be so simple mm-hmm. and it's not anymore and it's like I think telling myself understanding now that like that was a natural moment do you know what I mean that like it's like as we grow and as our faith matures like of course we have hard questions and of course there are moments where it seems like it doesn't make sense anymore because it used to be so easy but like that is part of the process because then we put it hopefully we put it back together and it makes and it is even more like sort of beautifully simple than it was before yeah well this can be a nice compliment to that whole thing you just did oh good so I'm going to use this Sunday because this is where I'm going with my sermon. Okay. Like having this prompt for the podcast actually put me in the headspace. So okay. so somebody sent me this. No, they didn't send it to me. I saw it on their Facebook. And it's just such a simple picture okay. that's so beautiful. And I had a light bulb go off this week. Okay. So I'm going to show it to you as we're looking at this. Okay. So for listeners, I'll put it on our Insta account. But it's life in three acts. And it's this um, person holding a vase, a vase. Uh-huh. That's the first one. And the second moment, it's shattered beneath her. It's dropped. Yeah. And then the third act, um, person is holding um, all the pieces in a vase in a mosaic. Uh-huh. And this was the light bulb. Is, um, I think one of the reasons people are seem to always be deconstructing, deconstructing and not reconstructing is because when you reconstruct, it is... Um, holding together, it's re-piecing together everything that's been broken before. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't think we have the emotional capacity to recognize that our reconstructed selves are going to hold that brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think, often don't allow ourselves to get into the headspace of this is put back together. It yeah. just feels different now. Oh, yeah. Um, even though productive, positive things are being believed and hung on to and reclaimed, mm-hmm. we can't shake the brokenness of our past because that was never there before. Right. Um, and so the second naivete can see that beauty, mm-hmm. but it sees that beauty um, as something put back together, not as something as it once was. Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so part of the journey is like sort of recognizing that that even though it feels different, it has been put back together. 
Yeah, because don't you feel like people... Like, I feel like as a church, we're still saying all these years later, we need to figure out reconstruction. We need to figure out reconstruction. We've reconstructed a ton of stuff. Yeah. I just don't think, A, it's a systematic theology with a finish line, and B, yeah. we've not done a good job of recognizing what has been reconstructed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have a much more reconstructed view of race now than I ever did before. Right. I have a much more reconstructed race about women than I ever did before. Right. I think I have a more reconstructed Christology than I've ever had before. Right. Um, and some of those things are really exciting to me. And yeah. they're vibrant and they're giving me life and they're drawing me closer to God. Just We need to give ourselves a chance to recognize that. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and to be fair, I do think it's like, I think everyone is in a different, like, everyone's in different places. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and and we over the years have had a different I mean, you know, UBC's been a fairly transient place in general with like st- students coming and leaving or even like Baylor, people who work at Baylor coming and leaving and um I think, you know, some of those people are in, in different spots on the journey, but I do think you're right that it's like part of the process is learning to see what reconstruction has already like wrought in your life, you mm-hmm. know? And so that is exciting to think. About. And I do think because, you know, we, we have permission in that sacred secular piece to, to draw new wells, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't ever entirely believe that they're, um, pure enough to be yeah spiritual. Yeah. I, I do think that's probably part of it is we like are drawing from wells that we, still tell ourselves in our head like well that's not christian though right even though we have like we have deconstructed that idea well and the other thing is um i think that there's you know how like you have a nostalgic maybe you don't but like <laughs> okay people i mean there's some psychological like you have an, an attachment to certain things from your childhood yeah because of brain development and what's going on at that point in your life compared yeah. to and I think that probably those categories of pure are really, really powerful and active in our heads mm-hmm. so that it is hard to let go. Yeah. And it is hard to give ourselves permission to reclaim and redeem these things. Yeah. So, well, anyways, um, this has sure been good and fun for me. I agree. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah. I always have fun. To I always be have fun. That's why I can do this and I don't care if anybody listens because it's like. It's therapy for me to get to talk about what we, yeah. how we're experiencing the world. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we want from you, listener. Yeah, tell us. We would love for you to comment on our Instagram, if you want to. What is something that you have reconstructed, or you can carry now in your reconstructed faith? We would love Ooh, to hear those. See a good those. prompt. I would love to hear that. Cool. Well, do you have anything else, Taylor? Um, I don't think so. Okay. All right, listeners, you have a good week, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.